And so today we are in Judges 4 and 5. We're going to look at both chapters today. And if you would like to follow along with us online, there's a QR code that's right there on the screen. You can scan that with your phone. Um, And that'll take you to our website where you can get all the verses, all the notes. You can ask a question, you can submit a prayer request, or you can just follow along on the screen. But here's what I want us to know about uh, chapters 4 and 5. They go hand in hand with one another. So if if you're looking at your Bible or you want to look back later, chapter 4 gives us more of the like clear layout of the story. It's more of the telling of the exact events that happened. You get to chapter 5, and it's kind of more of a song. It's more poetry. You might look at that, and it kind of reminds you of something from Psalms, if you're familiar with Psalms. And so what you get is you get the history, the kind of historical layout, and then you get this poetic commentary, and they both point out some different perspectives on the story. So we get some different details. So there's going to be, we're going to spend most of our time just going through chapter 4, but then we'll bounce over every once in a while to chapter 5 to kind of see, okay, what's the other perspective that we're getting here from the people that were in the story? And so we're going to start uh, in Judges 4. We're just going to start in verses 1 and 2. We're going to read a little bit, get ourselves where we need to go, and then we'll do a little talking about what's happening. So in, in Judges 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, I can't say that, HH. Okay, that's what we're going to call it, because I can't say those words. That's the other hard thing about, that's the other reason pastors don't choose judges a lot, because there are a bunch of difficult names to say. But here's where we're at. Okay, so we talked about Ehud last week. Ehud was the left-handed guy, right? He had to go take out Eglon, the king. So he does that, and they get peace in the land for a long time. Okay, so he dies, and this is the cycle that we've been seeing. While Israel has a king that's doing really well and leading them well, there is peace and they follow him. The minute that there's a judge that isn't the right, or the the judge dies, sorry, immediately after the judge dies, then the people turn from God. And what that means is we've seen kind of fleshed out in these stories is they start to worship other gods. They start to connect with other cultures in a way that they're not supposed to. And so they do evil. So when they have a judge, they do well. When the judge dies, there's a problem. And so we see this happen again. So they get turned over to King Jabin, and then he's got a command, commander of his army whose name is Sisera. In verse 3, it says, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. This is a significant thing for us to know. So these 900 iron chariots, this is like having tanks when the other other guys are just coming on foot. This is a big deal. They were made of, obviously they're made of iron. They're heavy. They're strong. They can move. They, if you come into a fight and you don't have iron chariots and the other guys do, you're in trouble. And so he's got 900 of them. This was a very powerful army. This is why he could oppress the people. Because they knew if they had to fight back, this was not going to go well. That, that it was going to be a fight that would not be taken lightly. That they were really going to have to do some things right. And they were going to take some severe losses in order to make this happen. And so he, gets, he actually oppresses them a little bit. Last week when we saw King Eglon... It seemed like there was, a, there was a more of an amicability there that like the Israelites would just kind of pay their stuff and they just kind of lived life. This was much more oppression. And so after 20 years, they reached out to, or they cry out to God for help. So going on in verses 4 and 5. Deborah, the, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. 
verse 6. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali, Zebulon, and Mount Tabor. Verse 7. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Verses 8 and 9. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Verse 10. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zephilon and Zebulon and Naphtali. And 10,000 warriors went with him. Deborah also went with him. Verse 11. Now, Heber the Canaanite, Canaanite uh, a descendant of Moses, brother-in-law of Hope, brother-in-law Hobat, who had moved away from other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zenanim near Kadesh, verses 12 and 13, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from HH, because I can't say that one again, to the Kishon River. In verse 14, then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. Verse 15, when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic, and Sisera leapt down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Okay, so let's pause, because that was a lot of information, right? So we get introduced to the next judge. And this is Deborah. First female judge we see, right? We haven't heard of her before until now. And she's got a little bit of a different role. She was in charge of Israel, but it also says that people were actively coming to her to hear her judgments. People would come and bring uh, things they had against one another or things, disputes they needed figured out. And so they would come and they would talk to her and she would make these judgments. And she was chosen to be the judge over all of Israel. And so remember, it says she's also a prophetess. So she gets information from God, and then her job is to be the mouthpiece and kind of let the people know what God is doing in the land. And so she calls to Barak, who's in charge of the armies, and she says, the message that God has given me is that you are supposed to go fight Sisera. Again, remember, this is the guy with 900 iron chariots. Okay, this was not an adventure that they really wanted to step into. So Barak says to her, and this is where it gets a little interesting. He says, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Now, sometimes people look at this story and they go, why is Barak saying this? Is he, is he kind of being a wimp, right? Is he just saying, I need you to come and kind of hold my hand and go with me? And it seems like maybe he's being a little bit like, I don't want to take responsibility for this. But really what we think it was, and many commentators would say the same thing, is that he's actually just saying he values Deborah's input. He values that she's a leader. He values her judgment, because that's what she's been doing. He values her partnership. And so he says, I'll go, but we, I want to be in this together. I want us to work together in this situation. And remember, she gets information that says, go to this very specific place. This is where God says to go. You're going to step out. You're going to fight this battle, and we'll see what happens. This is where we need to jump over to chapter 5 for a minute to kind of see what's going on and and get some other commentary. So in verses 4 and verses 21 of chapter 5, we get some insight into how this battle goes. 
And in verse 4, it says this, Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of rain that comes. And then it says in verse 21, the Kishon River swept them away, that ancient torrent, the Kishon. So here's what happens that they didn't know was going to happen, right? They say, go down and meet by this river. Well, what happens when they get to the river? All this rain starts to come. What happens to rivers when there's a lot of rain? They flood. Iron chariots don't move very well in muddy things, right? Muddy circumstances. So they get stuck. So Sisera then panics because his, his iron chariots are stuck. And that's why we get the information. Why would he run? Why would he, get, why would he worry? He gets into a panic. Well, he's stuck. His power is now nullified by this rain and this flood that has come. And so his chariots, and he, he, he gets into a panic, and he leaves on foot. And then we go to verse 16 of chapter 4. It says, Then Barak chased the chariots that, and the enemy army all the way back to HH, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Now we can read this story in 16 verses and kind of go, This is cool. Like, great. That was, that was seemed fairly easy, right? That didn't go very, it didn't seem like it was very hard for the Israelites at all. But when we kind of dig into this and understand what was happening, right? Like, let's get the lay of the land in Judges again. They had been in oppression from these rulers for 20 years, right? Long time. No one was doing, not, at least not few, it was very few, right? It seems like Deborah and Barak, they were following God. Maybe there were a few others, but most people had decided to do what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. So they're in a situation where they've been oppressed for 20 years. People around them are engaging in other things they're not supposed to be doing. They're engaging with other cultures. They're not following God. And then God says, it's time for you to go against this army. And by the way, they have much more firepower than you do. And they're, they're supposed to just step out and say, yep, we're going to go there, and we're going to go fight down by this river. And if we show up with 10,000 men, even though they're going to show up with a lot of men, and they're going to show up with 900 iron chariots, we just need to be willing to do this. This was not a situation that was easy for anybody on the Israelite side. In fact, if they did this, you draw this up, and you kind of plan out how this is going to go from a military perspective, this was a suicide mission. Even with that many men, like even if... All, all Sisera had to do was if he just backed in his chariots and kind of just had strongholds, even if they were trying to attack, they wouldn't do very much because they were made of iron. They would have had to, everything had to go right. But what they didn't know, right, was all that rain was going to come and that flood was going to happen. But God did. And God said, you need to go here. You need to be in this spot because when I show up to this battle, it's going to change everything. And so what we see from Deborah and from Barak in this moment is an extreme amount of faith. An extreme amount of faith in the way that God was going to show up, the what he was going to do, and even in a space where it was not popular to have faith at that time. And so I want to point out just a few things about the faith that they had, and I would just say it this way. Sometimes faith means going when no one else will. Going when no one else will. Many of the people around them could have cared less. They were kind of, I mean, they were upset that they were in oppression, but I don't know that they were the first ones to sign up to go against 900 iron chariots. That was a difficult job. And so they do show up, Deborah and Barak get this word, and they say, we'll go. We'll be the ones to have at it. We'll be the ones to step in this. And they rally the troops, and they go. Sometimes faith means this. It means going even when the task seems impossible. 
This was not a task that seemed like it was easy. This wasn't something that they were excited to do. This was something that seemed like this is maybe going to lead us to a very poor place. If this doesn't go well, we're in trouble. And yet, even though it was impossible, they were willing to do it. And then lastly, sometimes faith means going even when you don't see how God is going to show up. That was the X factor, right? If they were willing to be faithful, if they were willing to step out, and they were willing to do what God was going to call them to do, the X factor was allowing God to show up, and the way he showed up was with that rain and with those floods. And that leveled the playing field and made it possible for them to do what they were called to do. Today, a lot of our conversation is about the role that we play and how we are willing to do what God has called us to do and whether we're willing to step out into that role and do that, even when it doesn't seem like it's what we're actually good at. Or we talked about that a little bit last week, or what, we're actually, what actually seems possible. And so a very, very simple question, I, I, just a quick question, right, for us to process is, how quick are we to step out in faith? How quick are we to do things, not silly things, not crazy things, but things that God clearly has shown us that we are supposed to do. Now, we could look back on this and go, yeah, but God's not coming to me in a vision, right? I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophetess. He's not showing up to me in dreams or whatever, or sending me notes or something like that, right? He's not showing up necessarily and saying, this is what I need you to do. Now, sometimes he will, right? Sometimes he'll show up and give you clear understanding of what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. But if not, how do I understand what I'm to do? How do I know what God is actually asking me to do? And how do I know that he's going to show up? And I would say that we're doing it today. We're looking at his word and seeing what God has called them to do, these people in these stories and in the New Testament as well. And we go, what's his will? What is it? Think about what was going on for Deborah and Barak. They knew the nation was not following God the way they were supposed to. So they said, we're going to step in when God gives us this message, and we're going to push things back the other way. This wasn't just out of the blue and out of God's character for him to say, go fight somebody, right? Go change this. Go take back. They knew if the people had continued to follow God, then they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't have somebody who was an oppressor over them. If, they, if people just didn't turn away from God, didn't do evil in the eyes of God, those oppressors wouldn't be in their place. So they knew what God's will was, was for them to do what the Lord's will was, and then they wouldn't be oppressed. So they have to turn the tides back the other way. We can see the same thing. When things aren't going the right way, when we're supposed to be doing something and we're not, when we, see, when we ask what's God's will in this situation, we can look at Scripture and say, how did people respond to that? Is God going to show up if I'm faithful? And sometimes that means doing it when no one else will. Have these conversations with, I had these conversations with teenagers, have them with my own kids, right? You just hear this. But they're not doing it, so why should I? Right? Or, the, but they didn't have to, or but they're, that's their mess. Why do I have to do it? Right? And we, as adults, can get into that too sometimes. Deborah and Barrett could have said, why do we have to do it? Why do we have to fight the 900 iron chariots? Why do we have to be the ones who do this when everybody else is doing their own thing? And yet they were willing to step in and do that. So let's continue in, in chapter 4 here a little bit. Verses 17, 18, it says, Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Okay, listen, pro tip for a minute. If anybody ever says, Yeah, come on in. Don't be afraid. Don't do that. 
Okay? As we read the story, you'll see this was a bad idea for him. So verses 19 and 20. Please, give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. This is a... This, this whole story, you'll see how weird this gets. But this is just a weird story. Right? He shows up. He knows kind of who this woman is, I guess. And, and she says, come in. And he's like, okay. And then he lays down and takes a nap. And then he goes, stand at the door. And if anybody comes looking for me, just tell them I'm not here. Right? Weird story. He just lost a battle or he ran from a battle. And then everybody else has been killed, we just learned. So now he's sleeping in a tent after having some nice warm milk. Okay. So this doesn't make, why? Why would he do this? So in verse... 21, it says, But then Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion. Jael quickly, quickly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. I think that last little phrase is like, yeah, duh. Like, of course he died. You would definitely die from that. Verse 22, Then Barak came along for Sisera. Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead, with the tent peg through his temple. Anyone never read that story before? This is the first time anyone's hearing that story. Okay, handful. Yeah, I had people say to me, like, I've never, last week, I've never heard that story. Judges, nobody preaches on judges, because this stuff's crazy, okay? That's why you haven't heard it before. Why is this in the Bible? You're like, this is, okay, like, why do I even need to know this? This is kind of crazy. Like, I've heard, I'm sure crazier things have happened. But why is this in here? Here's the even more interesting piece, okay? So in, in chapter 5, let's go over chapter 5 from it in verse 24. It says this, Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Now, you're like, okay, women that live in tents, whatever. I don't live in a tent. But here's the thing, right? Most blessed among women. You know the only other woman in Scripture that it says that about? Mary. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, and tent peg lady are on the same level in Scripture. Okay? It's crazy. And yet, we know, if you look, if you think about what we just read, that when Deborah and Barak are having their conversation, Deborah says to Barak, we're not going to get the credit for this. This, this credit is going to go into a woman's hands. It was jail. She was the one who gets credit and finishes the job. And again, this is God said, this is all part of God's plan. Crazy enough, right? He says, you go here and you fight in this space. And what happens? The, the chariots are stuck, right? So then we fast forward, and, he, and, and Sisera runs away, and he knows, God knows, she's going to go right to jail, and then she's going to finish the job. And this is the way that it plans, pans out. Crazy, crazy chapter in Scripture. And one of the things that we notice, right, is that women are very elevated in this chapter of Scripture. You've got a woman judge who's in charge of Israel completely, and then you've got Jael who finishes the job, and God said, and, and Deborah says, because she gets a message from God, that she's going to be the one who gets the credit for this victory, because she finishes the job and takes care of Sisera. And so I want to stop for a minute and just kind of talk about this, because this doesn't get talked about in, in I think, enough. 
Um, and what tends to be kind of a difficult topic to talk about or people are afraid to talk about is like women's roles and how we see that and how we understand it and what that looks like. And what can end up happening sometimes is you get two extremes, right? You get the extreme all the way over here of like, yes, everything's the same. Everybody can do the same role. Everybody like, And you might even go as far as to say gender is fluid and all that kind of stuff, right? We've heard that conversation. But then maybe you go to the other side of the scale and it's, it's like nothing. It's like, yeah, we're completely different. There's no crossover. There has to be different roles for both people, and then it gets extreme. And I, I don't think either one of those extremes is true. In fact, I would just say it this way, that women can receive the same gifts and be divinely appointed leaders just like men. And if, you, if you're not sure of that, just look at this scripture, right? And then I would just go, go on just to say this, right? God chose Deborah because she was the best leader in Israel, not because there was a lack of options, some people will look at this and literally say, well, there just must have been nobody else who would step up and do the job, so God settled for a woman. That's stupid. Don't listen to anybody who says that, okay? He chose Deborah because she was the best option. Because he knew in order to get Israel out of where they were, Deborah was the right person for the job. And so he chose her. And so we see that women can and do receive the same gifts. They can lead, they can teach, they can, they can receive those gifts and be divinely appointed leaders. They can hold leadership roles. And yet, I also think that this is true, that a difference in role does not indicate a difference in value. And so I also think that men and women are created uniquely to play different roles in certain situations and that we complement one another and that's extremely important in God's kingdom. And I want to go back and look at Judges uh, 8 and 9. Or sorry, Judges 4, verses 8 and 9. I should say it that way. And, and just look at this verse again, right? It says that Barak told her, I will go only if you go with me. I said earlier, I think that's because Barak valued her partnership. He wanted to go together with her. She said, very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. We now know that was jail. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Here's what Barak and Deborah both understood. Even though they weren't going to get credit for the job that God was telling them to do, their role was so important, and it didn't matter what it was because they trusted God to take care of it. And they were content to play their part in the story that God was telling and fulfilling the role he had given them. And that's what was most important to them, that they would have victory in that moment, playing the role that they were given. It didn't matter who was going to get the credit. And it doesn't seem like Deborah knew or thought that she was getting the credit, right? Because it just said it would be, that, that credit would go to a woman. It doesn't, she didn't say it would come to me, just says it would go to a woman. So, okay, so we're going to play this role, and somebody else is going to get to play the role of driving the tent peg in. That's okay. We're cool with that. We'll do our role, and we'll give God the victory. See, Deborah and Barak found, Barak, sorry, Deborah and Barak found their worth in the purpose God had for them, not the role they were given. God's purpose was much more important to them. And so when we get in this conversation of who does what and everything, like we, we just have to be confident in the role that God has given us, looking at our gifting, understanding what it looks like, and being willing to define by the purpose God has given us and not whether or not we want somebody else's role. I wrestled with this once when I was in high school. Um, I was in high, when I was in high school, I was a senior. Uh, our school uh, did a production of The Sound of Music. And I enjoy acting. I think that's a lot of fun. Obviously, I'm cool with being on a stage. And so that's, that's fun for me. 
I wasn't a great singer, but I could like, if other people were good, I could kind of like hide behind them. And so I would, I wanted to be a part of it. So I, I did, and I had acted all the years that I was in school. And so I tried out, and I think I tried out for Captain Von Trapp, like the top, which was kind of dumb for me because I knew I wasn't a good enough singer, but I did it anyway. And I found out afterwards, like they, you know, they put the roles out and I, I got a part, but I got the part of Uncle Max. And so if you've only ever seen the movie though, which I had never seen a stage production of the sound of me, I had only ever watched the movie. In the movie, he's got like four lines. And I was like, oh, like I wanted a little more to do than that. But then I got my script, right? And I realized, oh, he's actually kind of the comedic relief. He doesn't have to sing the really hard songs. And I was like, I like being funny. This is cool. Okay. And the more I learned about the role that I was playing, the more I saw that I fit really well for that role. And I had a blast playing that role. At first, I was disappointed because I wanted a different role than I was given. And if I had stayed in that spot, I wouldn't have had any fun. I would have looked at the guy that got that role. I would have been frustrated. I would have been annoyed. He was a much better person for that role. And so I, I, would, have, I would have just been out of place because I would have wanted his job instead of mine. But when I looked at my role that I was given and I realized, no, I can do this well. This is going to be fun. And I, I was in that role and in that space. I really enjoyed it. And I found my place in that cast and it went really well because I was willing to step into that. That's a really simple example of what God does in this story. He says, this is your part, Deborah. You get to be the leader of the Israelite army but you're not going to lead the troops in. Barak's going to do that. Barak, this is your role. You're, you're going to lead the armies in. You're going to chase down Sisera, but you're not going to be the one who catches them. Jael, you're going to be the one who shows up in the tent and gets to finish the job. When they all filled their role, even though it was different, even though it wasn't the same, even though it maybe wasn't what they thought, the plan worked, and God orchestrated that. And so it's important for us to look at that and say, whether it's men, it's women, it's whatever, kids, adults, whatever, like God has given us this unique role, and when we find ourselves in the role God has given us, and we find our purpose in the role that he has given us, or the purpose behind the role he's given us, and we don't just look at other people and go, I wish I was doing that, or I wish I could do this, or I wish I had that gift. No, like, do what God has given you. That's the place where we will be content and able to do our best to build God's kingdom. In Judges 4, going to verses 23 and 24, so on that day Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king, And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. If we jump over to verse five or chapter five, sorry, one more time in verse 31 says, Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera. (laughs) That's awesome. But may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. So we get the cycle, right? God names the judge, judge fights back against the oppressor helps fight back against the oppressor. They destroy the oppressor, and then they get peace in the land for 40 years. I want to point out one other thing, and we're not going to go to chapter 5 yet uh, on this one, but I I just wanted to say that there's also an important note in chapter 5 where um, Sisera's mom is waiting for him to come home. And she kind of goes, why isn't he home yet? And the other women that are around her kind of go, well, you know how this goes. Sisera goes, and he wins, and he divides the spoils, and he gets the ladies he wants, and he divides the ladies among the other troops, too. And when we look into that, we, we would see that Sisera, Sisera was not just a, a commander of an army and doing wrong things. He was doing terrible things. So it's another layer of this chapter where we go, 
first of all, Deborah is elevated to the role of judge. Jael is used to finish the job, and then God gets justice against Sisera for the ways that he has abused women over the years. And I would just say this, right? God brings justice to those who deserve justice. Even through all this, right? He's like, yeah, we'll get, we're going to get Israel out from under oppression. But he also goes, I'm going to take care of this guy too. He's going to be done doing what he needs to do. And we're going to take care of him. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to allow Jael to take him out of the picture. And now I do want to jump to chapter 5, verse 23, just brief, briefly. It says, let the people of Moroz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. See, what this means is that there were people that were called into this battle who didn't go. Right? One of the first things I said, right? Faith is going when others won't. Some didn't. And so it says, let the people be cursed because they didn't go. They didn't, this is interesting how it says, they did not come to help the Lord. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It's like, at some facet, you look at that and you go, well, God doesn't need my help. He can just do what he wants. But at the same time, it's very interesting that he goes, I I want you to partner in this with me. I'm going to do something. You get to be a part of it. Step into the role and go. But some people didn't do that. And here's, here's something that we can learn from that, right? One of our greatest temptations might not be to do evil, but to do nothing. Like, we might look at something and go, well, I'm not going to actively go against what God is doing. I'm not going to actively sin in this situation. I'm not going to actively pull people in the wrong direction. But we might say, someone else will do it if I don't. Or, that's just not me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to worry about it. Like, God, if God wants to do it, he can take care of it himself, right? Like, and we can easily get to that point. Like, we can talk ourselves out of doing what we know we should. And yet, what was the response in verse 23? Let the people of Moroz be cursed, because, said the angel of the Lord, because they did not come to help the Lord. Here's what I think is so important, right? As we think about this idea of roles and faith today, here, here's how I would sum this up all together. Faith is filling the role God has given you and trusting him with the outcome. Again, we, we get called into roles as, as followers of Jesus that don't seem to make sense sometimes and that we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. The business plan doesn't seem to be viable. And so we go, you know, maybe I won't put all my eggs in that basket or maybe I won't go that direction here. Maybe I'll wait a little bit and kind of feel it out. That's a temptation to not step into the role God is giving us. But when we find our meaning in the purpose God gives us. We find our joy in the purpose God gives us. Even though the role may not look like what we want, we can be content. We can flourish. We can be the people God needs us to be because we simply follow where he's leading us. And when we step into that and we embrace that and we do it, even if it means somebody else gets the credit, even if it means somebody else gets to be the victor at the end, even if it means you get no footnote or the, no, uh, your name's not on the screen at the end of the movie, right? There's plenty of people that were in this story that don't get named. We don't know the names of all the warriors who fought, but they fought. They played their role. So the question is, what's yours? What's mine? And if you're not, I, I get this again. This is kind of an, an up here conversation where it's like, okay, how do I do this? Here's how I would help you kind of process this. What, what is your gifting? Where, where has God uniquely placed you to step into helping God build his kingdom? What does that look like? And if you're not sure, get together with a friend and ask them. 
go talk to somebody and be like, hey, what, what do you think about this? How, how am I uniquely prepared to help build God's kingdom? Some of the same conversation we've been, we had last week, too. But sometimes we get stuck. We don't want to do it. We don't like what we're being called to do or asked to do. And we refuse to do it. Don't, don't do that. Let's learn from Barak. Let's learn from Deborah and say, I'm going to step in to this role and really engage with what God's calling me to do, even when I don't know what it looks like, even when I don't know how God's going to show up, even when I don't know that it's going to work out the best or I'm going to get the credit. Be willing to play the role that God has given us. And when we do that, even in a church environment, right, even as GFC and then in in our neighborhood and whatever you want to say, like when we all do that well and we all step into those roles and we play the unique roles we have, we can be successful in building God's kingdom. Because I can't do what you can do. You can't do what I can do. We can all work together to do it. And that's how God moves through people. It's how he got Israel out from under this oppression. And it's how he built the church. We play the roles together. We have faith. We do what God has called us to do. And he will get the glory in the end. Because he's got the plan. And we don't know what that looks like. But we can trust that he knows the outcome. Would you pray with me? God, when we come to stories like this, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun, kind of interesting at the same time. And uh, it's fun to look at and see how you uniquely placed people to play unique roles in your story. And when we look at people like Deborah and Barak and Jael, they didn't know how this was all going to work out, and yet you used them all in a unique way to move your kingdom forward, to preserve your people, to get them out from under oppression, and to continue to sustain them as a nation that would ultimately lead to the gift of your son. And we ask that you would make it clear to us the role that you want us to play, our unique role and what that means and how we can step into that. And I pray that you would remove the roadblocks that might be in our way that where we're saying, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if that's the role for me. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know that I want to do that or I trust that. I don't know how God's going to show up. I just pray that those things would go away and we would be 100% willing to take on the role that you've given us and to find our purpose in the fact that you've uniquely created us to do that job pray that as we do that, that we would strengthen one another, that we could lean into each other and we would be a complete team because we each fulfill the unique role that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.